Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that includes everything you need to ace your GRE exam. A full textbook, videos on key topics, tons of GRE questions that are backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, a built-in study planner and machine learning essay grader, and full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free by visiting achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast will get you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. Today, we've got Brian Prestia from Reason Test Prep back with us, and Brian, I'd love if you could introduce yourself to the people who haven't heard you before. Welcome back. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me back, Tyler. So yeah, I am the owner of Reason Test Prep. We do online tutoring for the SAT, ACT, GMAT, and GRE. And our main focus is the is really the graduate tests, the GMAT and the GRE. Um, and I've personally been um, doing those tests for about 20 years. Um, and yep, GRE was the one that I started with. So that's that's the test that I have the you know the longest experience with. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing. And I am excited to dig in today on, you know, a, a kind of a tricky question type that maybe doesn't get a ton of coverage. Uh, but argument questions. So are argument questions a subset of reading comprehension questions or are they like a, a whole question type like reading comprehension is? Yeah, it's a great question. I guess you could say they're kind of both. So according to ETS, it's, uh, you know, they're a subset of reading comprehension questions. So ETS just calls it all reading comp, um, you know, if it's if it's like passage based. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's really like misleading and unfortunate because on the GMAT and on the LSAT, argument questions are a totally separate question type. I mean, on the LSAT, it's a separate section of the test. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's like it's got its own section. So yeah, it's like it's it's um, confusing to actually call them reading comp in the first place, but that's what ETS does. So yeah, I, I would think of these really as um, distinct question types. And I think, um, like you said, they're not a huge part of the test, really. So it's it's a tough, it's a tricky thing because there's definitely a lot of skill and a lot of practice that could go into being good at these questions. And yet, you know, they're they're roughly, let's say, 10% of the verbal section. So mm -hmm. it's not the most important in terms of in terms of volume. Yeah, but if you're aiming for a top score, it's good to get to get mastery of all the question types, right? So how would you define like, you know, for somebody who's listening? How would you help them identify what an argument question is, first and foremost? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I actually was gonna was gonna kind of dive into that. Um, I'm glad you asked. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that that is the first thing is like, how do you even know that you're dealing with an argument question? So, um, on the on the GRE, right? Like re traditional, let's call it traditional reading comp versus argument. Mm -hmm. So traditional reading comp will pretty much always have more than one question with it. Um, it could be a short like passage. So it could, it could look like uh, lengthwise, it could look like an argument question because it could be just like a single paragraph, you know, traditional reading comp can, but um, it will almost always have multiple, everything I've ever seen has multiple questions with it. Whereas an argument question will almost always have one question. So the first thing is when you're taking the test or you're doing a practice test, you can just quickly skip to the next question and be like, wait, is there another question on this passage? If so, it's almost certainly reading comp. If there isn't, if it switches to something else, then it was almost certainly an argument question. So that's like the easy, you can almost do that without even like reading the prompt basically. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess if it's short, you know, if it's a long passage, it's reading comp, if it's got more than one paragraph. If it's really short, 
Then the other thing that you could do besides just like jumping to the next question and seeing if, it, if the passage changes is then just look at the question. And if the question says something like, you know, what would strengthen this argument? What would weaken the argument? What's an assumption the argument makes? Something along those lines. Well, then it's an argument question. And if it's something more kind of reading comp-ish, like what's the author's purpose or, you know, what does the author say about this or something like that, you know, then it's, then it's reading comp. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So then, yeah, yeah, what are your what are your tips for kind of solving argument questions, right? I don't know if you have a specific one that you want to like read off or if you just want to kind of talk generally about them. Yeah, um, maybe maybe start general and then I guess we could get more specific. But um, so I guess the first thing is there <laughs> I feel like I've said this on the other episodes that, uh, that I've done, but, you know, there's a lot there's a lot that I could say. I mean. This is, again, a question type that appears on the GMAT. And, you know, we'll spend, you know, um, hours and hours and hours helping people with these questions, much more really than you spend on reading comp, actually, because mm -hmm. it's a much more tricky, complicated question type. So there's quite a lot that you could do here. But I guess I, I, the first thing is I would identify what type of argument question it is. So there are different types of argument questions. Um, there are strengthen, weaken, assumption questions. Like I, that was those are the first three I kind of rattled off before. Um, and I would add one more to the grouping there and call it the big four. So the big that's that's kind of a you know terminology we use. But the big four are strengthen, weaken, assumption, and then finally um, useful to evaluate questions. So they ask you like what additional information would be useful to better evaluate the um, the argument or the conclusion. That's the bulk of it. Like, I think if you're going to spend time studying and practicing on these questions, um, the, you know, argument questions, those four are the ones to really focus on. They appear the most frequently. They're also the ones that people tend to have the most trouble with. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say there's a specific strategy for those questions that we could talk about. And then separately, you also have, you know, inference questions and explain questions and occasionally like boldface questions. So there are a few other question types that appear. But yeah, I think if you're going to, you know, aiming for a top score, and you're going to spend time on this, really the place to start and to spend most of your time would be on these big four questions. So if you want, I can kind of elaborate on sort of what the strategy would be there. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. Okay, so yeah, again, very high level. The <laughs> big four questions all have the same structure, okay? They're going to have a conclusion, they're going to have evidence, and there's going to be some gap in the argument. So, you know, some leap that the argument makes from the evidence to the conclusion. And really the key to these questions is to, you know, um, be very, very precise in your understanding of, you know, what the conclusion is, what the evidence is, and then start to think about what are some gaps in the argument. So, what are some things that the conclusion you know, is saying that the evidence isn't saying? Or you know, why would the conclusion not necessarily follow from the evidence? And yeah, I think that's really the key. I mean, there's some you know, bunch of other steps we could throw in, but the, the key is to really break down the argument and understand what the gaps are between the evidence and the conclusion. And then all of those questions of those big four ones, they all pivot off of that understanding of that gap. Mm -hmm. So, you know... If the, um, you know, if it's a strengthened question, you're trying to take that gap and think about how you would pivot it in the direction of strengthening the ar argument. If it's a weakened question, you would take that gap and think about how, you know, how you'd pivot that in the direction of weakening. So I could, I could give you more specific examples, but that's basically it is identify the gap and then go to the answer choices and find an answer that is going to be, you know, sort of 
in that space and that gap between the evidence and the conclusion. Yeah. Do you ever feel like you're, do you feel like it's just deliberating, you know, what the gap is? Or do you feel like there's also sort of shades of gray in some of these questions where it's like they're strengthened and then they're strengthened even more, right? Mm, mm. Do you mean, do you mean when it comes to the answer choices and that like if it's a strengthened question that you feel like one answer kind of strengthens the argument and then another answer sort of strengthens it more than the previous answer? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Does that come up at all, basically? And then if so, what do you do? Yeah, so um, so this this harkens back to one of our earlier episodes, um, mm-hmm. which I, I, I fortunately went back and fortunately went back and listened to uh, to refresh my memory to make sure I wasn't totally repeating myself. But um, in that episode about um, ambiguity on verbal questions, mm-hmm. um, this is this is like a big this is a big big point for us at at Reason Test Prep, um, and honestly for me personally because it it describes like why I think I've had success on the verbal section of the GRE and GMAT too. It's that it shouldn't be ambiguous, right? So it might seem like one answer is strengthening the argument, and then another answer is strengthening it even more. But I would say in most cases, close to all cases, that's going to be an illusion. Mm -hmm. And they're not really both strengthening the argument. One of them is strengthening it and maybe not even much. It might strengthen it a little bit, but it is in fact strengthening it. And the other one is just not strengthening it or not necessarily strengthening it. Mm -hmm. So like you could have an answer, this this could, we're going to go on a little tangent here if you want here, (laughs) but getting at wrong answers, right? So um, you know, when you have a word like some on a strengthen on the in the answer choice of a strengthen or weaken question, okay, that's usually part of a wrong answer. Because if I say something like I'd have to maybe we have to give a like fictitious argument here, but if the answer says something like some people might choose not to do this, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? The fact that some people might not do it doesn't mean that, you know, most people, you know, wouldn't do it or, you know, something like that. So, um, so you might be like, well, like, you know, if that some people meant that, you know, the majority, that would strengthen the argument. Okay. But if that some people meant only four people out of a million, then it wouldn't strengthen the argument. So, you know, you sometimes have wrong answers that like, could potentially strengthen or weaken an argument if you interpret it in a particular way, but they don't necessarily strengthen or weaken the argument. And that's why they're not the right answer. So, right. Okay. So it's like basically, and this is almost like a general tip for answer choices, right? But it's just like removing ambiguity is generally a good thing, right? Or ambiguous, potentially ambiguous answers are usually wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more than I think. I think I'm using ambiguity in two ways here that are maybe confusing. So, you, generally, you don't want an answer that's ambiguous. If it could be interpreted in multiple ways, that's probably not the right answer. So, again, the word "some" is problematic because that leaves open a lot of room for interpretation, and that's usually why it's the wrong answer in in like a strength or weakened question. But then there's like another level of ambiguity, which is that people perceive that the verbal section is, you know, the questions on the verbal section are by nature ambiguous. That like, you know, there's a gradation of answers and you have an answer that really strengthens an argument, then one that like strengthens it a little less, 
then one that strengthens it a little less than that. So you could have like five answers that all strengthen the argument, but you're trying to pick the one that like most strengthens the argument. And I would say that's just a misunderstanding of the test. I, I mean, I, I could probably find some questions that are, you know, not great questions or feel a little bit flawed or, you know, don't maybe perfectly match that. But I'd say, you know, 98% of questions are unambiguous in the sense that there's a definitive right answer and definitive wrong answers. So yeah, like on a strength and a weaken question, I would say in almost every case, I could tell you, you know, I'm not saying I could do this on every question ever, but certainly the ones that I've like looked at and thought about and, you know, know, you know, directly know the answer to, um, you know, why the right answer is de definitely strengthening the argument and why the other answers just don't strengthen it. Right. It's not that they strengthen it less. It's that they just don't actually strengthen it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so is yeah. vocab, is this where the vocab becomes important? Do you feel like? Sometimes I think maybe a better way to frame that would be around precision. Mm. So I don't know if it's like lack of understanding of words that really trips people up as much as it is lack of precision in how you are digesting and understanding certain words, you know? So, you know, like obviously everyone knows the definition of the word some and everyone knows the definition of the word most, but if you put those words in the answer choices of a question, people who are not great at these argument questions and who are not great maybe in general at reading comp um, and who are not being precise enough, like they won't even notice, you know what I mean? Like they'll notice it when you point it out and it'll be obvious to them after the fact why one of those is definitely wrong. But yeah, I think it's, I think, um, and this gets back to the point I was, I kind of just threw in a little bit um, randomly earlier, which is that precision, right? Like when you read the argument and really the answers too, you have to read it with a level of precision mm -hmm. that goes beyond the level of precision that you're usually bringing to bear on like the things that you read. So yeah, I don't know if it's, I think on the argument questions, maybe less vocab and more like lack of precision that people like suffer from. Right. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. I also, yeah, it's like knowing, knowing what they're going for with when they're asking you the question, right? Like trying to decipher kind of the, the nuance of what they're asking for. Right. I think it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, again, this is why, I mean, so many people we see, who are studying for the GRE, they honestly don't even recognize that these argument questions are separate, really separate question types or should be thought of as separate from reading comp. So they'll just read it like they're reading a, like a reading comp passage. And, and, you know, if you're talking about like making sure you understand like what the test is looking for, well, you're definitely not understanding what the test is looking for if you're reading an argument passage as though it's just a traditional reading comp passage like you really have to actually have a totally different style of reading where you're not just reading it and trying to think about like the author's intention mm -hmm. you're much more reading for like uh yeah again what is the conclusion of the argument what is the evidence of the argument what are some gaps in the argument so it's it's actually a totally different style of reading and kind of breaking down the passage and that's what they're looking for like people who are good at these questions are doing that whether they even know they're doing it or not they're that's that's what they're doing and people who are you know not great at these like strength and weaken assumption type questions they're usually just 
reading it very flatly and, you know, just kind of for general comprehension, but they're not reading it critically and thinking about how to sort of attack the argument. Right. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, was that just the first of four tips or <laughs> like, uh, yeah. How, what, what else were uh, we trying to cover today? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> I think there's, uh, there's a lot, a lot more, I mean, yeah. even to talk about with these argument questions. I mean, I don't know if we want to get, you know, get into the weeds on this completely, but, um, first of all, I, I think, I think there we are do. Patterns. Let, yeah. Let's, let's go fully into the weeds, right? Cause this is, I think something that doesn't get covered very often. Okay. Okay. Well, so I guess two directions to go from here and you tell me what you think would be, you know, most helpful. One is, you know, that was really just like the big four. Mm -hmm. There are other question types that we could talk about, like inference questions and explain questions. And that's one thing. Another thing is wrong answer patterns on these argument questions. That's another, you know, important thing. So again, when you were saying like knowing what the test writers are looking for, I don't know if they're looking for people to memorize wrong answer patterns, but they're certainly rewarding people who can pick up on the typical wrong answers. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, do you have any advice for like what typical wrong answers are or kind of what they look like? Yeah. Do we want to stay narrowly within the argument questions right now? Because <laughs> I have a whole nother batch for traditional reading comp. Uh, just for argument. Yeah. Just for argument. Yeah. 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 Okay. So yes, so let me let me give you the way we this is the way we teach it. This is honestly the way I, I think of it as well. So you could think of two categories of wrong answer of wrong answer types on these argument questions. Um, the first category is answers that are off target, mm -hmm. um, which is to say that they're like not even relevant, right? They're like irrelevant. They're outside the scope of the argument. That's one category. Yeah. And then there's, I can just quickly mention this like kind of sub variance of that. And then the second is you have answers that are on target, but they're still wrong. <laughs> so they're, they're relevant to the argument. They're relevant to the conclusion, but then they, they have something else about them that makes them wrong. So if you want to can quickly kind of break down what those, what those would be. Right. Like, it's like saying it's like, um, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'll just let you break it down <laughs> rather than trying to <laughs> presuppose what you're going to say. Um, okay, well, yeah, I mean, the off target ones. So yeah, I mean, the most common wrong answer, you know, pattern on these questions is definitely just like outside the scope or irrelevant, right? Like always, you'll have answers that are irrelevant to the conclusion. Um, and this is where precision matters. If you're not really precisely understanding the conclusion, then you're going to miss it. Um, and so that's, that's one thing, then you have irrelevant comparisons. So this is kind of another form of irrelevant, but it's like they'll make some comparison, like, you know, the number of people that are going to invest in this stock is less than the number of people that would have invested had, you know, something like that. And sometimes those could be confusing. The comparisons could be confusing, but it's helpful to just know that often those comparisons are just a um, just trying to mislead you and they're irrelevant, basically. And then the, the third thing that I would categorize under this, like kind of off target is answers that are um, in like the wrong time frame. Mm. So often on these argument questions, the conclusion is about the future. So it'll be something like, you know, um, therefore, you know, in the next five years, we can expect, you know, oil prices to increase or something like that, right? And then an answer choice will say something like, you know, in the past five years, oil prices have decreased or something like that. And that will basically always be wrong. Mm -hmm. Because if you're trying to draw a conclusion about the future, 
and you're being given evidence about the past, I'd say just pretty universally, that's going to be wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's another type of like irrelevant or sort of outside the scope type answer. Um, and then there's the on target, but still wrong. And so one obvious one here, I think to people who have practices is, you know, on strengthen and weaken questions, you often have an answer that's opposite, right? So if it's a strengthen question, they give you an answer that weakens it. You just have to be careful that you remember which direction you're going. Um, and then you can have answers that are too modestly worded. So again, like a word like some on a strengthen or weaken question will almost always be wrong. Mm -hmm. And the opposite is true on other questions. So you can sometimes have answers that are too extreme. So that is not a problem on a strengthen or weaken question where you want a strongly worded answer. But on an inference question or an assumption question, usually you know, the inference that you can draw is like a pretty modest inference. And same thing with the assumption is usually something that's like not a big kind of grand overarching assumption. It's usually something you don't even notice. Mm -hmm. So on those questions, then like a really strongly worded answer tends to be wrong. So anyway, those are all things that like, it sounds like a lot to like memorize, but if you practice these questions and you really pay attention to those wrong answer patterns, it's like enormously helpful because you could be like, okay, nope, 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 nope. And then, you know, the right answer might be, very suboptimal, but you'll be like, okay, like I could see how that's right. And these ones are just definitely wrong. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the ways, particularly on the harder versions of these questions that they make it really hard, right? Is they make it so that the right answer is just okay, but then all the wrong answers have something wrong with them. Yes. Yes. And again, I think that's something we touched on in that, in that other episode about the, like, you know, getting rid of ambiguity in the verbal, verbal questions. But yeah, mm -hmm. like, in fact, I wouldn't have remembered this, but I, because I <laughs> listened to the episode, you used the word, you, I think you quoted like a Simpsons thing, or maybe it's Futurama. I think you said that the, uh, technically, well, yeah, like I'm technically, technically right. Correct is the best form of correct. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. Like the wrong answers will be technically wrong they'll be you know they'll be justifiably incorrect you can you know explain what makes them wrong even if they're really they sound better than the right answer yeah yeah that makes a ton of sense okay well so i guess the the other yeah i mean the, maybe the last thing then to round this out again we could go mm -hmm. into so much more detail like if we wanted to with like an actual question and we could really break it down but I guess the other thing high level would be to maybe just mention some of these other question types mm -hmm. like inference and um, the uh, like explain resolve and boldface. We could quickly talk about those and strategy for those. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. Inference is pretty easy. Okay. What's, what's hard about these questions is recognizing that they're asking you to draw an inference. So these questions happen a lot on traditional reading comp. Mm -hmm. So I think anyone who's, you know, practiced with the GRE, like they'll have done these questions a lot on traditional reading comp. But occasionally you get like what I call really like an argument question where they make up some like fictitious set of facts and they just ask you what, what inference could be drawn or what conclusion. So right. the key is to recognize that that's what they're asking you is to draw an inference, number one. And then number two is understanding that almost invert every like almost the opposite of everything you know we just talked about with strengthen and weaken type questions like it's they're not giving you an argument that you want to kind of poke holes in they're giving you a set of facts from which to draw a conclusion so you really have to read that set of facts as a set of facts and just be like okay like whatever they say here i'm going to just treat this like it's absolute ironclad fact and then i'm just going to go to the answers and say what could i conclude 
definitely if those facts are true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, wrong answers will be tempting, you know, things that like might be true, but are, are not definitely true based on the facts that were given. Right. And it's usually like a bit of an, a thing that you have to like kind of logic out. Like I remember there was some example question. I don't remember if you were actually the one I talked with, uh, through this with or if it was somebody else, but it was roughly along the lines of like, you know, they're building a road next to a wildlife preserve that has a bunch of deer. What will happen to the deer? And like the right answer, like there was like, the deer will leave from the noise. The deer will like, you know, like lose their habitat or whatever. But then the right answer was like, the deer will be hit by cars more. Mm. Right. Or something <laughs> like that. Like, and so it's like trying to kind of unlayer the onion <laughs> and figure out what yeah. actually you, you can really prove. Yeah. So that question is actually, so I actually almost know that question by heart. Mm -hmm. That's how, that's how much of a GRE nerd I am that I've done this question so many times, but <laughs> that's actually in not an inference question. Yeah. The deer, it's like Pataska, it's like Pataska forest and they're building some housing developments and it's going to, you know, more deer are going to get hit by cars because there's going to be a lot of roads going through the forest. Um, that's actually a great question to, to go over, but it's, it's, I think it's like an assumption. It's a big four. It's, it's either strength and weakness or assumption question. Unless, unless maybe there's some other variant of it that they've created into an inference question. Um, but like, yeah, like you do have to make some leaps, right? Like that is part of the game of these argument questions. That's, yeah, like there's always some leap that you have to make, right? The answer isn't going to be exactly what was said in the, in the passage. Mm. But the key with that is that you have to make very small leaps, right? right. So, okay. The further you leap from what was given, the shakier the ground that you're standing on. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're looking to, to, you know, to say something that's very, very close to what was already said. And yeah, the more you start to like be like, well, if if X is true, then Y. And if Y is true, then, then, then I think I, that gets me to Z. And if I'm at Z, that would also get me to like A. Well, if you're making that many leaps in your logic you are probably wrong because, you know, it, again, it's a standardized test. There has to be a right answer. And you have to ask yourself, you know, would they really expect everyone to create that like chain of logic from like X to Y to Z to A to B? If it's like that many jumps, mm -hmm. it's almost certainly the wrong answer. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's it's like yeah. with so many of these things, it's kind of like, like we talked about in the episode on reducing ambiguity, which is a great one. Go look for it in the archives, guys, if you are listening. Um, and, and you know, just kind of eliminating any long, windy <laughs> yeah. trains of thought that will get you to the right answer more quickly. Yep. Yeah. I mean, basically, the small smaller leap, the better. And that's especially the case on inference questions, whether that's on argument ones or even the traditional reading comp. Um, and then, yeah, maybe briefly, if you want to touch on the other two that I think are, um, if that appear, um, bold face questions, not that common, but occasionally appear. And on these questions, these are unmistakable. They will give you one or two parts of an argument that are in bold, and they'll ask you, what is the role or function of the parts in bold? These are like pretty different from everything else i would say on these argument questions because you're really being asked about the structure of the argument and to like really read for the function of the parts in bold so on these i would say 
you don't need to really even worry about understanding the argument perfectly and like what the you know, gaps in the logic are at all. It's really thinking about structure. So if you read a sentence and you're like, oh, okay, that seems like a piece of evidence. And okay, the next sentence, that seems like a conclusion. And then next sentence, okay, that seems like a further conclusion, you know, so okay, the second one was an intermediate conclusion. And this is like kind of the ultimate conclusion. So you're really kind of like mapping out the, um, the argument and the function of the of the parts of the argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, the key there is to do all of it. So people will just like look at the two parts in bold, and be like, Oh, like, I'm just going to kind of key in on those. But you have to understand the function of the parts that surround those bolded parts because without that then you're you're looking at it kind of in isolation and not how it all flows together so that's really the key is to try to kind of break down the whole argument um and then yeah i guess the other one you want me to just quickly mention the explain resolve type questions yeah sure okay again not as common if you're gonna you know if you're listening to this and, and you're studying for the gre um, if you're going to study for these argument questions, which you should, you should really spend, I'd say, majority of your time on the strength and weaken assumption and useful to evaluate. But the explain resolve ones, um, yeah, it'll say something like, which of the following would explain the help explain the contradiction above, or you know, resolve the paradox in the above argument, something like that. And I think um, again, just haven't done this for so long with so many people. People will kind of tend to treat these like strengthen questions, where you're just trying to like quote, strengthen the argument because it's, it's like explaining it. But it's not really a strengthen question because there isn't necessarily this like gap where there's evidence and a conclusion and some jump that you're making. It's more often what you have is just two things that don't play well together. So mm-hmm. like two facts that seem kind of mutually contradictory. And so again, I think once you understand what to do, these questions are pretty straightforward. Just go and like identify what are the two things that seem to be contradictory? And then either something will come to your mind where you're like, ah, okay, right away, I can see what, you know, what would resolve this contradiction. Or you don't, but you're just mindful of what the two contradictory parts are. And you simply go to the answers and be like, okay, what, you know, what's going to resolve this contradiction? And just be aware that sometimes an answer will kind of explain why one of those points like is understandable, but not have it not help um the contradiction. Not explain how it could yeah like not how, how it could coexist with the other one basically and that's going to be a wrong answer got it okay yeah that makes a ton yeah. of sense well yeah this has been a great episode and i think a pretty big deep dive on this problem type is there any other things you wanted to cover before we wrap up uh good question no i mean i i, I think the, the main thing i would just leave people with is just this idea of precision that like on traditional reading comp you know, you're going to read the passage, you're going to try to get an understanding of like the author's purpose and, and you know, maybe the you know, um, function of the parts of the passage. But like on these argument questions, the key is you have to just like turn the knob of precision to like 11, mm-hmm. basically, and be like, I'm going to take this conclusion and read it word for word. And I'm going to read the evidence word for word. And I'm really going to think about exactly what are the gaps here. And same thing with the answer choices, like what exactly are um, you know, the word some versus the word most. So I think if there's one takeaway is that you have to train yourself to have a level of precision on these questions that goes beyond what like you would, you know, that you're ever really doing in the real world. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brian. This has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Brian Prestia from Reason Test Prep. Achievable has a great online GRE course you can try for free at achievable.me. You can use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout.